Thank you for tuning in to the Movie Geeks United Anniversary Series. In this episode, we've pulled a 2008 interview from the archives of our sibling podcast, Back by Midnight, to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Child's Play. Directed by Tom Holland, this horror film tells the story of a doll infused by the spirit of a demonic serial killer. The film took the world by storm upon its release in 1988, and the title character of Chucky hasn't let go since. The following conversation is between myself and Mr. Holland as we discuss the production of the film and its enduring legacy. Everyone has a birthday they'll always remember. Can we open my presents now, Mommy? A good guy! I knew it! Hi, <laughs> I'm Chucky. He's something, isn't he? This is Andy's. Time for bed, Andy. Good night, baby. Good night, Aunt Maggie. Everyone knows most accidents happen at home. How did that happen? This is no accident. Andy! I'm Detective Mike Norris. Homicide. Andy! Miss Peterson's dead, Miss Barclay. She fell from the kitchen window. Someone's moved in with the Barclay family. And so has terror. Mommy, I know who was on the counter. Andy! Who, Andy? Chucky. Nobody believes you about Chucky. He came alive in my hand. I, I, I... Oh, for God's sake. Why won't you believe me? Because I'm sane. This is Barclay sane and rational. No one believes the truth. or lives to tell it. There's nothing nice about murder. And there's nothing innocent about child's play. Let's get right to it. Our guest is on the line, and we couldn't be more pleased to speak to him tonight. He's been responsible for some of the most memorable horror fantasy movies of our time. He grabbed everyone's attention with a screenplay for the apocalyptic teen melodrama class of 1984. Then he was assigned the overwhelming task of resurrecting Norman Bates for a new generation. The result was Psycho 2, a sly and effective sequel released at the height of the modern slasher movie craze. He would reunite with Psycho 2 director Richard Franklin for the clever children's spy thriller Cloak and Dagger, before finally getting a crack at directing his own screenplay the following year with the erotically charged teen vampire horror comedy Fright Night, which featured terrific performances from Chris Sarandon and the late Roddy McDowell. Other directorial efforts include the exciting L.A. cop thriller Fatal Beauty, the satirical corporate thriller The Temp, the moody Stephen King story Thinner, and episodes of both Tales from the Crypt and Masters of Horror. In 1988, he co-wrote and directed the new classic children's fantasy gone evil child's play and introducing the iconic chucky character child's play subverted the cliches of children in peril situations to chilling effect 
There have been numerous sequels of varying quality, but there is only one that is worthy of a lavish 20th anniversary edition on DVD, which you can purchase in stores beginning Tuesday, September 17th. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Back by Midnight writer-director Mr. Tom Holland. Let me bring him up here on my switchboard. And here we are, Mr. Mr. Holland, are you with us? Yes, I am. Is, is, is that you, Jimmy? It's me. It's it's Jamie. How are you doing, Jamie, sir? Jamie, Jamie. Well, <laughs> I've I got to tell you, that is the best introduction that I've ever had in my life. That was fabulous. I cannot take credit for it. It was it was written by uh, by our good friend Aaron. So, uh, oh, well, Aaron, to, to please tell Aaron. I'm sorry he got <laughs> called away tonight, but tell him that is it's that's a barn burner, man. Oh, I, mean, I got it. He, he's got to he's got to send that to me. Put that in email so I, I can <laughs> I can I can put that up on my on my MySpace page or something. That's oh, terrific. The only one he, the only one he forgot. Was was the first one I wrote? I wrote a, my my first screenplay was 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 the Beast Within in 1980. Yeah, I think that's the only one he forgot. Yeah, yeah. and I did it. I did an amazing stories with Jonathan Cryer also. Oh wow! But I uh, mean, good, good, we, bad, and ugly. He he, 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 did, he did a great <laughs> job with that. <laughs> I'll make sure he knows. No, uh, you know, we've spoken we've spoken before on, on my show, Movie Geeks, uh, uh, concerning Psycho Two. Uh, and uh, it was it was a tremendous treat for me to be able to speak to you, and it was such a great conversation. So I couldn't be more Thank thrilled you. to speak to you again tonight. Thank uh, you, baby. I, I understand that you just attended uh, was it a, a tribute dinner for for Dario Argento the other night? No, we have that tomorrow night. Oh, it's tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, and I'm looking forward to that because I've never met him. And I oh wow! I understand he's a I understand from Mick Garris that he's a really charming guy. So I'm really looking forward. Yeah, I would imagine he is, and, and such a body of work. How would you categorize his his particular voice in the horror genre? What oh makes boy. it unique? Oh boy! Well, I mean, I started. I mean, when, when like late seventies, Burden. Uh, when was Suspiria? I mean, but when, before that, it was a James Franciscus one. I can't remember the titles now, but he was he was uh, working. Yeah. I noticed him in the late seventies, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. He was the first guy that I saw that that that, that did operatic horror. I mean, mm-hmm. he was combining horror with these phenomenal can, uh, uh, camera moves. He was taking uh, production design in terms of color, uh, and he was using blood like paint. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it 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 was the look. It was it was what he did with the, with the with the cinematography. I mean, I don't think the stories made any sense at all. But I mean, the the the. the <laughs> The, yeah. the the it was he was it was ravishing stuff. He was he was in he was in love with horror for what he could do with the camera and with the the look of it. I mean, it was just gorgeous stuff. Yeah, quite an amazing talent. And you mentioned that you've never met him before. Is that never? Is that odd? Do 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 people in the horror genre uh, amongst the writers directors do they do they tend to to socialize or do you spend well, much I, time with? I think a lot of us have come together because of Mick Garris's dinner, dinners. But I, I think Dario, because he's Italian, so he's mm. not, you know, he just isn't in town that often. I don't think. So it, yeah. I think he's in town working on a picture, and so it was a chance for a lot of us to get together and, and, and meet him. Yeah, he's got the new Adrian Brody, uh, the Mother of Tears. I I think is his latest. So uh, uh, that, okay, you know more than I do. That. 
<laughs> so, so we talked about Dario. Uh, how about you? Can you can you turn an inward eye and and, and categorize your own uh, contribution to the hard genre? Oh gosh, Jamie, that's very hard. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it isn't false modesty. I mean, it's just it's just very very hard to 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 judge what I did what I did or what I'm doing. You know, I have I have an internet show that's coming out on Strike TV in the the like the third week in October. It's called Five or Die. And there are uh, there are uh, there there are teaser trailers out on the web. There's a MySpace page for it. If if your listeners sign up for the MySpace page, uh, we'll give them the uh, the code key so they can get into the site, which is in soft launch now or a beta, and take a look at, at my newest work. Uh, trying to judge what I did, you know, it's it's just so hard. I, I remember that when I when I started out, I started out with a movie of the week called The Initiation of Sarah. And I mean when I was having people, you know, turn into to, to animals and monsters and everything, everybody thought I was nuts in nineteen seventy seven or seventy eight. <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know, so I mean so I know I was whatever the impulses were, I was at the vanguard of you know of of, of 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 transformations into into monsters or into alter egos or whatever you want to call them. I know that I continued and tried it with uh, with with the lead in in in, in the Beast Within, mm-hmm. and you know it, it it just seems to. I think that the the, the horror community was so much smaller then, and yeah. also it wasn't as well organized or as vocal as it is now. Because of the internet, I'll also say something else. Just then, I mean, just give you a power of, a sense, a, a, a sense of the power of the internet. We're doing a, uh, a midnight screening at the New Art on Santa Monica and Los Angeles on Friday night. I think the nineteenth. The nineteenth. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. A fright, yeah. a fright night, and that came out just last night on Ain't It Cool News, and now is hitting the other horror sites. You know, icons of fright and everything. And I just got an email to check out the talk back and ain't it cool news and it goes on for pages. I mean so yeah. there there that wasn't possible before the internet. What's happened is is the internet is, is has allowed uh, allowed all of us to, to, to stay together and to follow the news and the genre, but it, it it's built the horror community and made it much more much more so it, it's responsive to you know, to to the news. The fandom is growing because of, of of the internet, it was like going to the Fright Night reunion. I think it was in March then in Dallas, the first the first time I'd seen everybody in twenty some years, right. and it, they got the word out, and they were it was just packed. But it was because of the internet, and I think the same thing's going to happen at the midnight screening at the New Art here in L.A. And a lot I of the cast so coming yeah. in for that too. Yeah, I I I can see that you know the horror horror fan community. It's, they're very special, uh, a special group of people. They're very loyal. Uh, they're very, very kind of close knit, and they attend all the conventions. Uh, and I would think that especially the internet would be a place that is very conducive for them to them to gather and, and articulate uh, these different events and their love of the genre. Absolutely. And 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 to learn about it and to keep up with what's going on. I think you're seeing it on internet radio. Is this internet radio? This is internet radio, yes, sir. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it, it you know, I mean, it, it's bursting out all over now. As long as you know, as, as the majors don't try to choke it down with, you know, with, with by destroying net neutrality, you right. know, you know, I mean, you know, like, there are all kinds of 
you know, things afoot to, 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 to try to control the distribution system that the Internet provides, and mm-hmm. that includes, you know, Internet, t- you know, radio. But right now it's a free and open distribution system which allows us all to stay in contact, and it's wonderful. It's uh, the only democracy we have right now. <laughs> yes, you got it. Uh, let me talk to you a little bit about Fright Night since you mentioned the special screening. Um, it, I think it's rare among horror, uh, uh, teen horror movies of that era uh, because it, it dealt with teen sexuality in, in, a, in a different way. Uh, not to be coarse about it, but, but usually when you're dealing with teen sexuality in a horror film, it's relayed by uh, nudity. <laughs> and, and, but this one dealt with the confusion and the teen sexuality very differently. And I, I believe Chris Sarandon was on this show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he spoke about uh, how you encouraged him to push the sexuality of his character. Um, t- tell me about that that approach. Was was that foremost in your mind? Uh, no, what, what, not, not that specific approach. But what, what what you look for when you're working with actors of the caliber of Chris Sarandon in that cast, you're looking for subtext. Right. You're looking for the emotion that's oblique, the emotion underneath the words. You're looking for what's going on under the surface, behind the eyes, in the in, in the body English, and so you're looking for things to play that will give their characters greater depth and color. And right. so that's the, so the you know the 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 uh the sexuality, you know, the pansexuality, the ambisexuality that we were just looking for ways to 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 create subtext but also to find ways to make to make Jerry Dandridge the vampire character that he played more sympathetic or understandable. You know, mm-hmm. in the theory that, that that no villain is 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 all black. You know, it was it was it was trying to find things for 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 an actor of Chris's caliber to play, and which, it's by a, the way, I thought succeeded brilliantly in 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 Fright Night, and I really mm-hmm. never satisfied in 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 Child's Play with Chris's character, the cop, and that that was always underwritten for him. Oh, okay. Well, let, let me definitely get into that. Is there going to be a a special edition of Fright Night? Do you think because it's such an extraordinary movie? Well, you know, there's there there there. I I had a a meeting, you know, several months ago with 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 Sony, and I got nowhere. They uh, told me that uh, the movies that were older than three years that they didn't do uh, DVD or Blu-ray releases on it. And I I looked in the guy's eyes, and I I thought, what BS. But they must have something, you know, some kind of spreadsheet that tells them that it isn't going to be, uh, that it isn't going to be, uh, you know, financially remunerative to them. But on the yeah. other hand, Fright Night is growing uh, so much in, in 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 fan appreciation and gathering new fans. And you know, I had a, we had a screening out here with Diablo Cody. That she mm-hmm. put on at her film festival, and she and I did a Q and A afterwards, and the theater was packed. So it seems obvious to me that you know that there's a there's an audience for it and a growing audience for it, and I I did hear I I I don't want to say too much, but I mean you know perhaps another company might be interested in doing it if even if Sony isn't if Sony would give them the rights, so I that that's where so. that is and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. What I'd that really like be, is is a DVD and to take a lot of this 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 uh, information behind-the-scenes stuff that's piling up, you know, both of what we're doing at the New Art, uh, you know, in a week, a week from this Friday, and mm-hmm. also what we did in Dallas and what we're doing tonight, 
I'd love all this stuff to be taken and added to the behind the scenes in a, in a Blu-ray release of it. Oh, absolutely. I would be first in line to buy that. Yeah, <laughs> that well, thank you. But I mean, ex- but it, 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 the, the film, the film is. The, I, don't, I don't. The film is. I can just feel it out there, you know, in 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 the fan world. The film is, you know, is, is just becoming better known, and it's it's very very gratifying. And who knew? And it's. I think it's just wonderful. The, yeah. the other thing that's going on is it, it it it's becoming intergenerational. I mean, I saw this in Dallas, and you know, and other people I've talked to, uh, parents show it to their kids. I mean, today it's probably what it was an R then, but today it's probably what a PG thirteen. You know, I mean, probably, it, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a it, there's it's so much fun, and it's it's so warm hearted. I think that you know that it it seems to be the kind of, of, of film that parents can can share with their with their with their adolescent children safely. I think it, yeah, I think so too. I think it's a very infectious film, and it it, it would play like. Like mad for an audience, uh, that film, and as it does. Um, but but another of your films, obviously, which is why you're here, is uh, being released. It's uh, celebrating a 20th year anniversary. How, hard, how time hard flies. To yeah, hard to and that's Child's Play. Uh, and I know the script came from Don Mancini. Is that how you became involved? You were well, the, you were handed the original, the... but the original was written by Don Mancini. I came. I've never met him, by the way. I came on. I did a rewrite. I couldn't solve it to my satisfaction. I left the movie. I went off, and I think I did Fatal Beauty. And during that time, I think Joe Rubin came on it. Joe hmm. Rubin, I don't think could solve it. Somehow, another writer got involved called John Lafia. Then I came back on, and I rewrote everybody, and you know, and it and into a very, very different movie. And uh, that was the movie that was done. And so that's and what, sort of what, the. I think the other writer, I think John Lafia may have worked with Joe Rubin. I'm not sure. And what was your vision of of that film, and how did it differ? Uh, my vision is the one that's on the screen. The that's the right. advantage of being the director. <laughs> the uh, and with that, you know, it, it's. Well, I don't know. My memory is is that is that is that the the one that Mancini wrote was more like an extended. Uh, Twilight Zone. It you know I think the idea was the little boy made a made a blood buddy out of uh, and I think that was the original title by the way blood buddy yeah. uh, made a uh, uh, blood buddy out of the doll when he fell asleep the doll came alive and murdered uh, people he didn't like like his dentist his doctor mm. uh, I think maybe at the end maybe it went after his mother I can't remember his teacher was the doll killed his teacher but it was the, was acting out of the little boys uh, you know you know it you know. You know, uh, the little boy's dislikes. It didn't yeah. have a villain. didn't have Charles Lee Ray. It didn't have the Brad Dourif character. It didn't have any kind of... Ra- once I once I, I needed to have a villain. I needed to exculpate the little boy. What happened in the original was you're, you didn't feel any sympathy for the little boy because the little boy was falling asleep and the doll was killing for the little boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you needed what you have was a very primal situation where a mother could save her son if I could figure out how to make the doll into the villain and exculpate the boy, make it not the boy, not the little boy's fault. Also, it had a wonderful situation where nobody would believe the little boy about mm-hmm. the doll coming alive because it was so patently ridiculous, which is one of my favorite situations. The uh, <laughs> And so I, I worked on it. And the second, when I came back to it the second time after Joe Rubin left, uh, 
all of a sudden I had the idea for Charles Lee Ray for the Brad Dourif character. And once yeah. I had that, and I had the 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 the, the, the B story of, of of the villains, then I had I had then the whole thing fell into into place finally, and it fell into place right, and it felt like you know, it felt like the the wonderful roller coaster ride it turned into, and it was you know right. it was something that always potentially you know funny about it because mm-hmm. it's a humorous idea, and there's also something very primal about it because. Who hasn't thought of when they when they were kids? Who hasn't thought of their toys coming alive and how frightening their what that is? Oh yeah. I also had two examples where it worked. One very very close to the time that I agreed to do it. Poltergeist had come out before that. Toby Hooper's Poltergeist, and there's that great scene in the bedroom where the doll, the dolls come alive, and I think the clown, and the clown comes out from under the bed and grabs a little boy. Mm-hmm. And so this, so I did just the child's playthings coming alive, coming alive are very, very frightening. And before that, back when I was young, there had been a great TV movie called Trilogy of Terror by Dan Curtis. Am I ringing a bell at all? I I have heard that title. Okay, yeah. to go out and buy it, find it, hunt it down. It's probably a you know a pirate you know video cassette somewhere. <laughs> it yeah. was a trilogy. And Dan Curtis is is, is the is, I never met him, but a, a terrific. Uh, actually, I did meet him. I worked for him as an actor in Wings of War. He was the director, but he produced Dark Shadows, the soap opera, right? Uh, and the vampire soap opera, and he did a movie of the week called Trilogy of Terror with Karen, 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 Karen. You know, an actress. Yes. Karen Black. Yes. It was with Karen Black, and it was from a short story story by Richard Matheson, Richard yes. Christian Matheson's father. And I think the short story is called The Zoomy Doll, and it's about a woman who brings home like a six-inch-tall six doll, and she puts it down, and somehow she doesn't realize it, but she breaks the, the, the spell, and the six-inch doll comes alive. It's got a spear, and it spends the next 30 minutes trying to kill her in the apartment. And it worked like dynamite. And it's probably one of the scariest things I ever saw on television made for TV. And Dan Curtis, this was before Steadicam. He invented Steadicam, basically. What he did is he put the camera on top of a skateboard or a pair of roller skates. So he had the point of view of the doll down there almost at floor level, chasing chasing this woman with this spear, trying to (laughs) slash her to death. And it was it was just dynamite. So I knew, and this is this was prime. This was back in the seventies, maybe even the mid seventies. I knew that if you went to the point of view of a doll and it, a small doll, even down close down to the floor, it could be absolutely terrifying if you if you both tracked with the doll and went to the point of view of the doll. So I knew visually I could make I could make suspense slash attack sequences work in child's play because it had been done. Everybody forgot right. it had been done, but it had been done about, you know, six, seven, oh, almost ten years before. By Dan yeah, there's Curtis. POV. There's, 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 sorry, excuse me, the volume on my computer's on. Uh, the, the, those POV shots are extremely effective. And and, uh, and there's a couple of pitfalls with this that I think you, you touched on a little bit, and I want to get your opinion on how you avoid them. Uh, you, you talk about child's play. It's a it's a primal idea, and yet it is a lot of fun, and it's it's definitely effective in the scare department. 
how do you you're excellent at balancing uh balancing those uh, th- those uh, emotions and i would think that they run counter to one another the, the laughter and and being frightened at a at a horror film they're both uh some form of release well uh, how do yes, you do that exactly the yeah. the horror can work very effectively excuse me humor can work very effectively in horror because the audience does need a release and so mm-hmm. if you give them a laugh, it can be explosive because they're looking for a way to release the, the, the tension that's built up. The, so that's one. Two, you have to keep whatever the humor, it has to not, it can't be self-referencing. It can't be ironic, and it can't break the third wall, uh, you know, which you see a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, you know, it goes into camp or it goes into farce. And mm-hmm. farce is, you know, indicates the genre is about exhausted. The but in 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 both Fright Night and Child's Play, the humor comes out of the situation, and it it stays real within the context of the given circumstances. Examples of 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 humor in Child's Play are the doll in the elevator after the elderly couple go up in it, and the woman turns back and looks at the doll and says, "Ugh." Ugly doll and walks away, and then the doll, you know, expletive you after them, you know, with <laughs> huge laugh. The right. other, la- another, another example is, is is the knife blade coming up in the attack of Chucky in the car on Chris Sarandon. The knife blade comes up between Chris's legs and almost hits him in his private parts, and right. he jumps in the audience. And I got to tell you, from watching that film and in a lot of screenings, every male in the audience jumps, and then there's a huge <laughs> laugh. Right. Uh, it, it, but they they stay within the within the reality of the situation. The laughs the laughs are are, are real and you know or or you know are, are based on the reality of the situation. They're not commenting on the material, mm-hmm. and so you you mix those things together. In other words, if your if your if your horror is working, your 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 comedy laughs can be even bigger than they normally would be because they're relief. Mm-hmm. And how do you know that? That the horror is working. Is it difficult to gauge on set, or or when you're, or even before when you're writing it? Hey boy, the uh, oh boy, uh, it's what is what I'm seeing in my head when I'm writing. It it, mm-hmm. it it because you're looking at visual set pieces. The rule of thumb, and this comes from from Richard Franklin in Psycho Two, and Richard Franklin got it from from Alfred Hitchcock. You're looking for three to five visual set pieces per 90 minutes of film. So you're looking for three, preferably five, sequences which move forward visually with a minimal amount of dialogue. And that usually means a suspense sequence. Mm -hmm. And you start to construct those, and I don't know how to explain it, but you start to get a sense of what can be potentially visually frightening and then how to release tension and how to get how to get where the laughs can come from too uh but first you have to have uh you have to have the the, horror really isn't quite the right it's suspense right you have to have the suspense working in order to get the laughs or the horror really horror really is, 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 is 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 the is the build that suspend is the it's, it's the it's the it's the the tag that suspense mm-hmm. gives you. Does that make any sense? I yeah, completely, completely understand. 
uh, and I think I think two elements that that are essential in, in creating such effective scares in this movie are obviously Brad Dorif. <laughs> Brad Dorif, a brilliant that, actor. Oh, amazing! And and the doll itself, uh, which you believe is living, a living thing. Uh, how difficult was that to? Uh, how was that operated? And and was it a big trial and error process to get it to work? Yes, to all of those. <laughs> <laughs> I think there were over a dozen puppeteers. I mean, and they, oh. it was it was terribly difficult because they were working. I had the stage built up four or five feet off the ground, uh, off the off the bottom, you know, off the floor. There were puppeteers underneath, you know, the entire apartment. They were looking at TVs, and each one of them was manipulating a different part of the doll. It was animatronic, but also even the face was divided up. The expressions between two and three puppeteers, right. and you looked at the at the screen, the television screen, and it reversed what was happening, you know, up there. It was like a mirror. And so you not only you had to, you, you, you were looking at, you were trying to make the doll operate when the reverse of what you were seeing was how the doll had to function. Right. And, and it was very, very hard to, to get any tensile strength in the doll. The doll couldn't hold anything, including the knife. The knife ended up being a piece of, you know, of aluminum, if I remember correctly. Uh, the eye line, which has to work before you cut, you know, over the shoulders, or close-ups. It was terrible getting the doll's eyes to be right, so it seemed as though he was looking at whoever he was talking to or trying to to attack. Uh, it was a, it was a, uh, it was extremely difficult, and it was, it was a terrific effects team, and that was. You know, it was headed up by Kevin Yeager, but I mean, it included people. One, one of the assistant, one, one of the puppeteers was Howard Berger, who now runs uh, KLM, which is you know, which is probably the biggest effects house here in L.A. Howard right. Berger and Greg Nicotero. So a lot of people got their got their start on that. For that matter, a lot of people got their their start on Fright Night. I just had lunch with Randy Cook. Randall Cook will be with us on Friday night at the at the Fright Night screening. But Randall Cook, I think, is a three. He is a three-time award winner for doing the effects in Lord of the Rings, uh, and he went on from you know, you know, from Ghostbusters to Fright Night and on to Lord of the Rings. He also did the Gate along the way. The mm -hmm. so I mean, it, it's a you see people's career, you see people learning and experimenting, growing throughout these films, and hopefully, I've done the same thing throughout my career. Oh sure, and you've created. And I know you couldn't have known it as you were doing it, but this character Chucky, uh, it, it it has such a legacy now. It, like I said in the beginning, it permeates the culture. Uh, you say the word Chucky, the name Chucky, and everyone automatically knows what you're talking about. Right. And even even here near where I live in the Tampa area, Are the you head doing coach Tampa? of. Yeah, the head coach of our team here is affectionately known yeah, as sure, Chucky. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, see, all my relatives retired down to Florida. We're in yeah. yeah, we're West Palm. I have cousin in uh, in Lake Placid near Sebring and uh, sure. Vero Beach. I love Florida. I, yeah, it's terrific. I just wish our coach was uh, as, as vicious as, as Chucky. <laughs> but uh, how, do you, how do you explain this? How do you, how, what do you attribute this extreme popularity to? I think that I think it's that I think it's that the humor that you saw in the original, the mm -hmm. humor and it mixed with it mixed with uh, with terror, but also the first one was like it was like a Disneyland. 
you know, what they used to call an e-ticket ride. It was a great, fun ride. And mm. it, went, it gave you laughs, it gave you thrills, it gave you chills, and it had heart. Because right. it had heart, because it was a mother trying to save her little boy. you got to remember that the police thought the little boy was doing it. Sure. You know, and the, then the mother thought, started to think her little seven-year-old son was, was losing his mind, was becoming a sociopath. And mm-hmm. so you, you, you had all these primal, you know, emotions running through it. And at the same time, a, a fairly visually a very sophisticated uh, story and movie, and one that was very hard to pull off. It's also a testament to in-camera visual effects. Yeah, yeah. You know, as opposed and, to CGI. And as you spoke to, uh, it, it avoids it avoids parody, uh, which you know, the more they've they've uh, explored Chucky in the sequels, uh, the more it kind of falls into that for for, for me. Well, that, that uh, I mean, yeah, that's because very few people can do can do terror. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, I guess it's a pat on my back, a pat on the pat on the back, but it, it's very very hard to scare people. And I'm not talking about just, I'm not talking about grossing people out, but I mean to in a film to really you know get them so upset or so nervous that they can really be scared. It it, yeah. it 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 takes it's a suspense build and it takes it takes it takes skill. Yeah, I want to ask you just a couple more questions and then I'll I'll let you off the hook. You've been very generous with your time tonight. I appreciate it. We have a question in the cha- uh, we have a question in the chat room. Are you involved in the uh, the proposed uh, Child's Play remake? No, I'm not. Way? No. Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> I uh, urge I urge everybody who's interested to. To go look up Five or Die, and then to join, you know, to join on MySpace, on the My, on my on MySpace page, and take a look now, at that because I think now that, your MySpace page is, is is that MySpace.com/slash/TomHolland? No, it's it's Five or Die. I think I think it's listed under, but the keyword okay. might keyword should probably be Tom Holland, but it's okay. Five or Die. You know, yeah, Five or Die, and you'll find okay. you'll you'll be able to search it. You'll find uh, teasers on the web. And that's that that because I'm trying to do I'm tr- I mean I think the web's the most exciting medium out there right now, mm. and so I'm trying to create for the web, and you know and see whether or not you know I can draw an audience there, and then see or not see whether or not you know that it's viable to 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 make enough money to to support production off of streaming advertising. We'll see. I think so. I, I, you know we've we've spoken to many directors on my show and and. Yeah, people like Paul Schrader now, he's doing programming for the web. Uh, really? So, yeah, it's becoming more and more popular now. Um, you know, last time we spoke, we kind of – our conversation got cut off short before we were really able to, to speak to this. But we're talking about where horror is moving now. Uh, and there seems to be uh, – there's there's one sec- segment that's the, the PG-13 horror and then there's the other segment that uh, is is as grotesque and bloody and gory as you as you can imagine. What, what do you think of the current state of of horror? Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's an old <laughs> there's a there's there's a saying you hear at the Masters of Horror dinner. You know the saying is let let let's 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 let let's uh, what, what, what do they say? Uh, buh, buh, buh. Let's let's bring let's bring terror back into horror. Let's do something yeah. different. Let's make let's make horror movies scary again. That's it. Let's do something different. Let's make horror movies scary again. The uh, uh, well, the PG thirteen is because they're making them for girls. 
mm-hmm. they're making them free. That's what you see with Sony and Prom Night, and you know uh, when a stranger calls or whatever it is. And that's sure. because the, you know the, the I think so many young males have left watching television. They're watching the internet or they're on their video games. But the the majors can still do mass advertising and reach a young female audience on TV. So I think that's why you see The Grudge. And I think I think it started with The Ring, which I thought was a terrific film. But mm-hmm. that's why you see it with the grudge and you know and the, and the Sony stuff I just mentioned. So it's, you get PG-13 because they're advertising young girls because that's all they can get as the you know as as the system changes and falls apart. Uh, then you've got you know torture porn, which is what you're talking about, right? Yeah. When you say the, yeah. When you say the, gr- the grotesque. Well, Five or Die, I, I do a lot. I do it. Five or Die is pretty god pretty rough. <laughs> but at the same time, it like you know it it ends with 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 a, with a jolt of horror, but also a, a very very nice chuckle. Uh, I think look, I mean, if you get somebody like Eli, like Eli Roth doing it in Hostel, I think it's very skilled. But mm-hmm. it it also it also doesn't work off of suspense. It it it's more like action in a way, you know. I mean, like the opening of Private Ryan. You know, right. where, where, where you know where you're watching everybody get blown apart. It 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 it's not as elegant. Let me put it that way, because it, it's easier to do a gore fest as as you're straight through than to build suspense and scare the hell out of the people with the kill at the end. Because what you do is you're building two or three times where you think the person is going to die and they don't. Mm-hmm. And then when you're sure that it's going to happen because the cat jumps out of the darkness or whatever, you still don't. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And when they yeah. come downstairs, turn the light and open the door and you think it's their mother, you know, come back from, you know, from girls' night out, and there's the killer and they stab him to death. I mean, it, it, that's the kind of, 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 of build that you need to get the terror. I mean, does that make any sense? No, that makes perfect sense, and and I think that's probably why Hitchcock is is considered such a master. Well, there's uh, absolutely no, there's absolutely. I stand, and I think we all do. We all stand on on his on his, you know on his on his shoulders. And, yeah. and Psycho is is the definitive movie that broke it all open and that changed it all. And I I think he articulated well. He said something to the effect of I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said. Uh, the, the the suspense doesn't come in the bomb blowing up. The suspense comes in in the anticipation of it blowing up. Well, that that, uh, that if you see the person place the bomb under the table, then the right. couple can sit at the table and talk for ten minutes and nobody's leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. We've we've kind of lost that in the horror genre as a as a whole. I mean, there are definitely exceptions, as you speak of. Well, part of the argument would be would be, would be for that is that the audience the, the audience has consistent ADD these days. You know, I, mean, I hear a lot of reasons given that I don't particularly agree with. It depends on how strong your material is. But one of the criticisms, one of the things they say is, well, you know, the young people they can't they can't they can't concentrate. So you can't have any more than two or three lines of dialogue before you have to go to, you know, before you have to go to the red gooey stuff. But that mm-hmm. that 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 sort of denigrates the audience, and it's finally it's pretty boring after a while. Yeah, that's all we're that that's all we are being fed. <laughs> so that's that's all we're being accustomed so, but, but to. We're that, accustomed that, to see. That's because that's all that's out there, and it's not a matter. Well, I guess it's a matter of fashion, but it, mm-hmm. it, it the talent is always in short supply. 
you know, and you know, and then the, then the system doesn't necessarily pop up the most talented people either. Right. So you know, I, I think the talent has to has to lead. The, the 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 problem is trying to find, you know, independent distribution where there, there's creative freedom, and maybe the internet is that way. If you know, if they if they don't start putting all kinds of blocks on it, the major corporations with you know with by destroying net neutrality. Uh, You're hearing me going on about that, but I mean, I don't like what I'm seeing as far as the majors controlling the internet. I understand completely. Uh, Child's Play 20th Anniversary Edition comes out Tuesday, September 17th, a week from today. And uh, September 19th, uh, that's a Friday of next week, a special screening at the New Art Theater in Santa Monica for Fright Night. And October 16th, Strike TV. uh, Strike TV. Five or Die. Five or Die on on the website there that we will post up in the chat room. It is Please. a great pleasure. It's a great pleasure to speak with you, sir. Jamie, uh, we th- th- thank you, thank you, thank you. It's still the best introduction I've ever heard. You're there in my best. <laughs> <laughs> if only everywhere you go, someone could introduce you. Like yeah, whenever right, you walk into a room. Be wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Thank Mr. you. God Holland. bless everybody. Bye bye. You too. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. That's it for this episode of Movie Geeks United. For additional episodes of our anniversary series, visit moviegeeksunited.net.